and just realize that as I was praying that, that maybe infect is not the language that you would normally use for how we could join into God's work, but perhaps we could infect the system that we live with love, joy, and peace rather than be a negative infection that might require antibiotics or something like that. Um, I'm about to uh, enter into the end of chapter 3 in Ephesians, but before I do that, I want to talk to you a little bit about um, our founding moments, our founding moments as humans and our founding moment as a church and the roots they have and what difference that stuff makes to us. And so before I do that, I'm going to explain just one little thing about the Hebrew Scriptures that maybe you didn't know or maybe you did and you've forgotten. It's all good. But uh, Hebrew is radically vocabulary poor. Like we have English and we got words for everything and you can go look it up and we dissect our words and everything. But Hebrew often has a single word that will mean three or four things and the only way you can tell the difference is the context with which it is. One of those words is breath, wind, and spirit. And so when God's spirit hovers over the waters and breathes, it says the same word over. It repeats the word. So when God breathes into us, so let's go back to our Genesis 1 and 2 opening moment of what it means to be human. This is not a statement of science. I'm not here in a science lecture hall or anything like that, but... I just remember years ago in a presidential campaign, there was an argument going on, and it was about science and evolution and all this, and the, and the candidate at the time said this. He goes, you may choose to see yourself and everyone else as a random event that just happened, but I choose to see you as special and made specifically by God. That's what founding moments do for us is that we understand our story. So let's, this is our story, and this is from Genesis 1, and then a little bit of Genesis 2, verse 26 to start. Then God said, let us make humans in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over the earth and every other creeping thing that creeps on earth. By the way, dominion here does not mean iron-fisted rule. Dominion is how God guides us. God has dominion over all of creation, and he's seeking its good in that dominion. And so God created humans in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then just over a little bit, And God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. That is our founding moment of humanity, that God breathed life into humans, knowing that life, that breathe, wind, and spirit are the same Let's go to our founding moment in the, in the book of Acts for the church. And this is from Acts chapter 2, and this is the Pentecost text. When the Feast of Pentecost came, 
they were all together in one place, and without warning, there was a sound like a strong wind, gale force. No one could tell where it came from. It filled the whole building. Then, like wildfire, the Holy Spirit spread through their ranks, and they started speaking in a number of different languages as the Spirit prompted them. These are our founding moments. This is about becoming alive, having God breathe life into you and his spirit entering us. These are our founding moments. Have you entered into this moment where you understand that God breathes life into you? Who breathes his spirit into you so that you might have life and breath? As the little meme on Facebook said last week when I saw it, don't forget to give God praise. He did not forget to wake you up this morning. And so with that in mind, I'm going to do this little thing here. I want you to breathe in and out. Can you inhale just... God is taking care of you and he is breathing life and breath into you. So now... I want to start talking about this. This is some of the stuff that happens in the ancient world. They use images to tell you stories. Do you realize that sometimes poetry is truer than math? I just said something really interesting, didn't I? Sometimes poetry tells you more about the world you live in than whether 2 plus 2 equals 4. And and so... there's more ways to discuss truth. And one of the ways the Bible uses is telling images. They use images that everybody would have understood. And so part of this understanding is that, that we live in God's palace temple because he is both king and God. Palace because kings live in palaces and temples because the palace of a God is called a temple. The very last thing that they would put in a temple is the image of the God. Now, throughout the ancient world, except the Hebrews, except the Hebrews, that meant that humans were there to service the image of the God. And if they got burnt out or hurt, that was all good because the God, the image of the God was the important thing, not the people. But the Hebrews had a different thought because God led them into a different place. And that was, is that they themselves are the image of God, the mediator of the presence of God to creation. Do you know what it means to be the mediator of God's presence wherever you are? Well, we're going to discuss that today, just a little bit. How do we do it? How are we prepared to do it? As you sit there, do you feel perhaps that maybe you're not quite qualified to mediate God's presence into the world? Well, guess what? You are by this thing. And so let me read, let me read from, Gen- from, a, from Ephesians chapter 3. I just sort of like skipped half this page here. It's all right. You didn't miss it at all, did you? <laughs> okay, so here it is. This is from uh, Ephesians 3, verse 14. When I think of all this, I fall on my knees and pray to the Father. Okay, so when I think of all this, seems like an incomplete statement, doesn't it? Just sort of like when you start a verse in the Bible and it says, therefore, 
And you know the old pastor's statement about therefore, you go see what it's there for. So we're going to back up just a little bit because when I think of this, as just as Paul says at the beginning of chapter 3, when I think of this, I, Paul, and then he gets distracted and goes on to something else, he comes back to, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees in prayer. What is he thinking of? He's thinking of three statements. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Where God lives by his spirit. And then in verse three, or chapter 3, verse 6, and this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe in the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. First statement by the Spirit, second statement by Christ Jesus, and the third statement in verse 10. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Brought together by the Spirit, its fellow heirs through Christ, because God had a plan that he always had, and then he's completed it. When I think of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, He will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. The image here, the language here, is that you might be empowered through the Holy Spirit, this breath of God that you might breathe in the spirit and that you might exhale back praise to him. Can you take a moment and breathe with me again? I just like that image. Let's do that again. Let's, this is practice about breathing the love of God, the spirit of God into our lives. Can you just remember this all day? Just, okay, one more time. Breathe in. Oh, don't exhale. We've got seven more minutes. Okay, exhale. Sorry. You can't hold your breath that long either. <laughs> Neither can I. I will pray that from the glorious unlimited resources... He will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him and your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And that you may have the power to understand. Remember, the power to understand is the first maxim of godliness that we would have God's life in us, that we would begin to understand who God is and what he's done for us. And just when you thought perhaps that was something you were going to have to do on your own, God provides his spirit and the wisdom and the wealth to do it. That, that you would understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is his love. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. 
Remember the maxims of godliness that I've been talking about, right? God's life, godliness, God's life lived in you is that you might grasp and understand, that you might begin to understand what he, what he has done for you and who he is. Number two, that you would live a life of praise and adoration, that you would breathe God's love for you into your body and that you would exhale praise and adoration back out for him in the way that you live, that it would flow out of you in such a way. Do you know that sometimes you're going to start being nice and you're going to be nice to somebody and you won't even have had to think about it? You won't have had to make a plan. It's just going to happen because God's alive in you and he's breathing life into you and your life is starting to resound with this as the spirit makes his home in you. And pretty soon you, you start to get this idea that, of who God is and he's going to open up the avenues for different understandings and pretty soon your roots are going to be so deep you'll forget that you were mad at half the world for cutting you off in traffic and you're going to be nice anyway. And you're not even going to have to make a plan to do it. Because you've been changed. That's the third maxim of godliness. We sort of sit on the precipice of Ephesians here about what's going on in, in, in Ephesians, right? That we've talked about three of the four maxims of godliness and that fourth one's a coming. That's the, by the way, take a stand, that you're going to have to take a stand. And when I think about taking stands, I, I initially think about it the same way most of you do. I'm going to need a soapbox and a microphone, and I'm going to have to shout to the world, and I'm going to speak judgment and all this stuff into the world that God don't like what you're doing. Stop it. But perhaps the stand you're going to have to take might involve letting somebody go in front of you at the grocery store. Or perhaps as a parent, I love this one because I've got two kids. And because I've got two kids, you know just as well as I do that they fought. <laughs> Always. I saw a cartoon the other day that said this. This is what my kids must say in the background. Hey, we're about to be, mom and dad are about to be in the room. Let's get in a fight so that until one or the other of us cries. No, let, let's do it so we both cry. That perhaps the stand you're going to take is to not take a side in the midst of the fight, but mediate peace and life to your kids that they might learn how to get along and through it. That you're not going to be Isaac and Rebecca taking sides and pitting one against the other until, until one has to flee for their life that that is not an example. By the way, there's ways you can look at the Bible and say, well, Isaac and Rebecca did it. Maybe it's okay for me because they were in the Bible. No, that is using the Bible non-biblically. We're not going to take the bad examples and say, well, I get to because Samson got to. We're going to understand that the radiating of life and breath and peace to us that the spirit that as we breathe in and the word in Hebrew for breath is also the wind right that Jesus would say that the wind comes and goes and you don't know where it's going or where it's from the wind that fills the room that starts our church back on Pentecost that fills your breath with the love of God 
that you begin to have an understanding of the breadth and width and life and depth and every little nook and cranny of your life is starting to change. And pretty soon we're going to get to this how then shall we live part. But before we do that, we have to become rooted deep in the power of understanding of the Spirit. And just when you thought perhaps that this having a godly life was going to have a sort of a checklist mentality to it and you were going to have to do six things to make it happen and you weren't sure if you could do all those things, here comes God breathing his spirit into you and making it happen as you live your life. Do you know why there isn't a roadmap to become like God? Because it's different for each and every one of us. And, but the first thing we have to do so we have to breathe his spirit into us. Can you do that with me again? Just breathe. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the life and the breath and the sunshine and the, and the vivid colors. Do you know we live in a high-definition world? You didn't have to buy a special TV to see it. It was right there. As we take this breath into us, as we breathe this love in and we breathe praise and adoration back out of him and our lives become saturated in this, do you know that it's possible to start breathing life and breath to your neighbors? That everywhere you go, that life might start spilling out of you and onto other people? It's sort of like my cup overflows with blessings. Is that a biblical image you're aware of? That if you get your cup, see, I'm going to get my cup. Lord, please fill my cup. And he's going to fill my cup with blessings. But I'm not going to hold it close here and go, you can't have it. No, this one's my cup. These are my blessings. If you do that, there's no more room in your cup for more blessings. You have to spill them on people. You might not think being spilled on is such a blessing, but what if it's love and peace and hope that you're spilling? What if, what if the waiter or the waitress at the, grocery, at the, at the restaurant that you're going to later today is, has a sense that you're different enough and that you care for them and that you love them and that, and that you're going to take care of them and perhaps, perhaps maybe you should tip them for what they're worth for God, not for the service. And that you could be a blessing in their lives. Maybe perhaps some of the service you were getting wasn't entirely up to them. What if they had a boss that made it really hard for them to do something or the food was late or it was messed up and they just happened to have 35 tables and not notice that your food wasn't exactly right? How, when things go wrong to you, do you react as a Christian? Because how you react is so much more important than what happened. May you live this life where you inhale and exhale God's love and breath into your lives. May you be different. May you be changed. May you be this breath of God wherever you're going. May we brush aside those things that 
entangle us and press forward because we have such a great cloud of witnesses in our lives. You know what the great cloud of witnesses does for us? It helps us remember that people have touched our lives, that they poured out blessings on us because God blessed them and they just couldn't contain it anymore. Have you met somebody like that, that God's touched their life in such a way that it was just uncontainable, it just kept getting all over you? I've met a few people like that. It sort of undoes the nature of sin in our world. I've, I've got this definition of sin. Remember, there's three types of sin in the world. I've shared this at least once, right? There's the sin that I do that gets on me and gets on those around me, and the sin they do that gets on them and the people around them, which would be me and you and all that. And then there's the stuff we just sort of slog around in together that, that you can't really pin on anybody, but it doesn't work right. But what if God's images, God's people, God's mediators in the world, the people who were given dominion over the earth, not to use it up, but to care for it and be God's presence amongst it, started spilling blessings and love and care on everybody instead of that other stuff, instead of something that you're going to hope people are wearing hip waders when you're around them. And now, as I said, we're at the fulcrum of this book. So as chapter 3 turns into chapter 4, remember the, maybe you don't know this, but chapter 4 has these words in it is, now may we walk worthy of our calling. That's the stand for Christ part in the nitty-gritty places of life where it doesn't make much sense. May we inhale and exhale this love of God who he's pouring into you. And if if you didn't know that, just look at Jesus and look at the way that he pours his love in the people around him, so much so that they were just hoping to touch his cloak. Everywhere he went, he spilled life into somebody. May you do that with God's help and power. You join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, help us know how much, how wide, how deep, what the width of your love is for us, even though it's not even possible for us to get it, that we won't understand it. Lord, help us that we might become rooted and deep, deeply entrenched in your love, so deep and entrenched we become unshakable oaks of righteousness, if you will. Thank you, Lord, for each and every one here. Thank you for your breath in them. In your precious name.